Was it really bullying? That's what the complaint said. It was bullying by the entire coaching staff. You remember that a couple years ago? Alito schlacked Western Hills 99 to 0. And one of the moms from the Western Hills team made a complaint that this was bullying. But was it really? I mean, old Coach Buck, he took out everybody. I mean, if he could put in the fifth grade team, he'd have done it. But it was just that bad. Was it kind? Was it kind to take everyone out and tell the referees, keep the clock running no matter what you do. Don't take any timeouts. Don't take anything out so we can get this game over with. And even with that, it was still 99 to 0. What is kindness? What does it mean to be kind? When we look in Romans chapter 8, as we began looking a couple weeks ago, and we see that Paul tells us that God's purpose for us, at least in part, was that we would be in the image of Christ. That is to say that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. When people see us, they need to see Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says that we are to be in the image of him who created us. That is to say, in the image of Christ. And so we started thinking, well, what, is, what was Christ like? What image of Jesus do we want people to see in us? Last week, we looked at the idea of compassion. But if you open your Bibles to this, this morning to Colossians chapter 3, where Paul talks about the fact that we are being renewed to the image of the one who created us, he goes on to tell us how we are to walk, how we are to live, and he says to have that compassion, but then he says kindness. We are to have kindness. This morning I want us to think about what is the biblical idea of kindness, and then I want us to see through the demonstration of three stories of Jesus' ministry, what kindness is. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to Colossians chapter 3. And I want us to look at this idea of what it is to be in the image of Christ, to have this kindness. Notice what Paul tells us. Colossians actually chapter 2, chapter 3, uh, as he's talking of how we are to live differently. First, chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Our minds are to be set on the things where Christ is. We are to be like Christ. Verse 9, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and put on the new self, being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And then verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. There's that idea of kindness. Paul says part of having our minds set on the places where Christ is. Part of being created in the image of the one uh, who created us is to have that kindness. 
Have you thought about the kindness of God? The kindness that God has shown us? Look at Romans chapter 12, if you will. Or rather, Romans chapter 11 and verse 22. And notice what Paul tells us about the kindness of God. He says, chapter 11, verse 22 of the book of Romans, Behold, then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fail severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in His kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. There seems to be a tension in the idea of the judgment of God. On the one hand, there is severity. For those who don't follow God, for those who reject God, there's a severity. And yet the other side of that coin is kindness. The word being translated kindness is the idea that you treat someone less or better, rather, than what they deserve. We associate it with the idea of grace. We know from our lives as children, the answer to what is grace, oh, that's unmerited favor. What does that mean? Favor we don't deserve. Favor that we haven't earned. And a related idea is this idea of kindness, that someone really deserves to be treated this way, but we're going to treat them better. We think about kindness in our everyday language in English, as the idea of being nice. Oh, you're just nice to folks. Well, that, there's a certain amount of that. But the biblical word, the Greek word for kindness, carries the idea that someone deserves this type of treatment, but you're going to treat them better. Not because they deserve it, but because of your goodness. In fact, some translations may translate this word goodness. But it means to be kind, to be less Severe. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 22, Paul says, God could treat you with severity. That is what you deserve to be treated with. But because of his grace, he treats you with kindness. He treats you better than how you should be treated. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. And notice what Paul says in that context about the idea of kindness and the fact that we have received kindness. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Paul says, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. If we had time this morning to delve into all of Ephesians chapter 2, we would see that what Paul's saying is, we deserve this over here, but it was God's plan from the very beginning that through Jesus Christ we would receive grace, that unmerited favor that we know as children. And that was God's purpose so that he could show us just how kind God is, so that he could show us his kindness through Jesus Christ. When we turn over to the book of Titus, Paul tells the young preacher Titus, I think he was young, I don't really know, but we look in Titus and Paul tells Titus that this was God's plan as well, that we should receive kindness through Christ. Notice what Paul says in Titus uh, chapter 3 and verse 4. 
but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us, not through the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the eternal, according to the hope of eternal life. You see what Paul says there? We didn't deserve God's goodness. We didn't deserve to be heirs, sons and daughters of God, to receive eternal blessings, but it was God's love for mankind that he showed us his kindness by the washing of regeneration, by the Holy Spirit whom he has poured out upon us. And so what Paul's saying is it was God's kindness God was motivated out of his love for mankind, but also out of his kindness. We deserved this treatment over here, but he was kind to us. Biblical kindness is not just the idea of, oh, I'm going to be nice to you. I'm going to bring you some donut holes this Sunday morning. Or I'm going to bring you some of those little sausages in the bread rolls that we all ate this morning. That was a nice thing to do. And it was kind. But the kindness, biblically speaking, is deeper than that. It's the idea that we deserve severe treatment for something we've done, and yet we re receive something else. The person who is carrying out the punishment holds back and is kind. With that concept in mind, let's see how Jesus demonstrated this in his life. I want you, first of all, to think about the story of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. And notice the story of kindness that Jesus has with Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, Luke tells us that he entered Jericho and passing through, there is a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was a small in stature. I always relate to Zacchaeus. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said, Lord, behold, half of my possessions I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to, the, to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has came to seek and to save that which was lost. We may miss the idea of kindness here, but I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Jewish folks living in Judea at this time frame. The Romans said, look, we can't collect all the taxes we want to collect, and, and we have tremendous roads all over the Roman Empire. And so we're going to contract to the highest bidder to collect those toll taxes for us. And so as you're traveling from... Uh, 
political division to political division or geographical division to geographical division. You're going to pass through these toll rolls and toll roads, and whoever we contract with to collect those tolls, they get to keep whatever extra they collect. Can you imagine driving down George Bush Turnpike and, and having toll booths? Now we don't have toll booths there now. But imagine that every time you pass by the toll, whoever was operating that toll booth got to tell you, well, you know what, I, I think today that's going to be five bucks. Can you imagine that? And, and the state of Texas just saying, look, all we want is two bucks, and anything you get beyond that, that's what you get to keep for yourself. That's the way these things operate. And so Jewish people looking at Jews who had this contract, they thought, you're a sellout, buddy. You're working for the enemy. You're looking for the oppressive state, and you're getting rich off the back of all your kindred. That's why they called Zacchaeus a sinner, because he sold out to the Romans, and they felt like he was taking advantage, as they did of every tax collector, of their brethren. And yet, as Jesus comes through Jericho, which is on one of those main roads throughout the Roman Empire, as Jesus comes through Jericho, there's crowds all over the place, and they're praising Jesus. Idols are looking for miracles to be done, and here is little tiny Zacchaeus, and he's climbing up in the tree. And out of everyone in that crowd, Jesus sees Zacchaeus, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there, because today I'm going to eat at your house. Now, we might think it's rude if someone said, you know what, I'm coming over to your house to eat today. You may not like that too much. But Jesus was giving a tremendous honor to Zacchaeus because everyone else there rejected and hated Zacchaeus. And maybe he deserved it. Maybe he had abused some folks. Maybe he had taken advantage of some of his brethren. Maybe he had cheated some folks. And he deserved to be an outcast. But you see, Jesus showed kindness to him by saying, Zacchaeus, today I'm going to go eat at your house. I don't know what that conversation was like. I know everyone else there that saw that were, were complaining, saying, does he know that this guy's a sinner? But just the fact that Jesus showed kindness to him, Zacchaeus makes a tremendous turnaround in his life. And he says, I'm going to give back everything that I've defrauded anybody of. I'm going to give to the poor. And his life changed because Jesus showed him kindness. Jesus didn't treat him with the severity that he could have treated him with. There's another story of Jesus' kindness in the Gospel of John in John chapter 3. This time, it's the opposite side of the spectrum that Jesus is dealing with. This time, Jesus is dealing with someone uh, who spent his life trying to be the best religious person that he could be and to be the opposite in his treatment of his Jewish brethren. I'm talking about Nicodemus. Look at John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi... We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus begins to have this conversation with Jesus. 
And I believe that Nicodemus is a true disciple in the sense that he's truly wanting to know about Jesus. He's truly wanting to understand who this Jesus fellow is. He sees him perhaps as being that great Messiah. And yet he doesn't have all the understanding that he needs and that he should have. And so he's having a conversation with Jesus. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Look at Jesus' response. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things, you would not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus, in a way, takes a hard approach with Nicodemus in saying, you're a teacher of the law, and yet you don't understand these things. And he begins to tell Nicodemus of, of how he has blinded himself to those things. But Jesus could have really gone after Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you set yourself up as a Pharisee. You set yourself up in, in these synagogues as being an expert in the law, being able to teach all these people. You don't get this, Nicodemus. Are you kidding me, Nicodemus? Would you get out of here? I've got other things to do. But Jesus doesn't do that with Nicodemus. He challenges Nicodemus, certainly. And he's very direct with Nicodemus. You should understand these things. And he continues to teach Nicodemus. In John chapter 7 and verse 59, I believe it is, as the rest of the Jewish leaders are looking for a way to destroy Jesus, it's Nicodemus who stands up and says in that group of leaders for the Jewish people, doesn't our law say that someone needs to be tried before we sentence them? And the rest of the Jewish leaders look at Nicodemus and say, you're not one of his disciples too, are you? Are you from Galilee too? At the end of John, as Joseph of Arimathea comes for the body of Jesus, do you remember who else is there? Nicodemus. Nicodemus has come with the herbs and the spices that they put on the body so that they don't stink so bad when they put in the tomb. Jesus touched the life of Nicodemus because he could have treated Nicodemus with much more severity for being a false teacher. For being a self-proclaimed expert of the law. But he recognized Nicodemus as truly wanting to know who he is. And he treated him with kindness as they have that conversation on that dark night. And Nicodemus, you get the sense as you read the rest of the book of John, becomes a disciple of Christ. There's one other story of Jesus' kindness that I want us to think about this morning. And that takes place in Luke chapter 7. And as you turn over to Luke chapter 7, I want you to think about who is the dirtiest person you've ever seen. And I don't mean dirty in terms of they need a bath. I mean dirty as in they're just a nasty, nasty person. In Luke chapter 7, we read of such a story. We read of such a person. Luke chapter 7, verse 31. 
Jesus says, To what shall I compare the men of this generation? What are they like? They're like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another and say, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you and did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and, and drinking no wine, and you say he is a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, the man, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. So notice the setup. Jesus is making a distinction between the best of society and those who the rest of society call sinners and tax collectors. Notice verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now one of the Pharisees, now when the Pharisees rather, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching, his, touching him, that she is a sinner. And when Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. The money lender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them loved him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who, whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven, forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is an amazing story of kindness. Kindness in a couple of different ways. In the first place, you get the sense that this Pharisee has invited Jesus to his house, not because he is interested in learning about Jesus or learning from Jesus, but because Jesus is seen by the gods as being a great man, being a great teacher, maybe being able to do miracles, and, or he is able to do miracles, but the Pharisees you know, question that. And so maybe this guy is able to do miracles. I don't know. But he invites Jesus in to his house. And you get the sense by reading the story that he's not a sincere believer in Jesus. Maybe it's all for show. But the context of the day says that when someone came into your house, you had some common courtesies that you offered to them. Number one, you washed their feet. Now, that was a courtesy not just to the person but to everyone else because, remember, you ate around 
the table by leaning on one shoulder and your feet were down by someone else. I love you guys, but some of you might have stinky feet. And if I'm by your feet, I want those things to be clean, right? And so it was a common courtesy when someone came into your house to eat that you would wash their feet. This was when people had sandals and they walked everywhere they went. He had dirty feet. Normally a wealthy person like this Pharisee evidently was. You had a slave whose job it was, usually it was a small boy, who would wash the feet of people that came in. And this man hasn't even offered Jesus that common courtesy. If you fly to Italy today and you meet with someone, even if it's a stranger, you know what they do? They kiss you on your cheek. Buongiorno. Customary in many Middle Eastern countries, even today. But this man didn't even greet Jesus with the typical common greeting as someone comes into your home. And so this man has been rejecting Jesus, being very insolent towards Jesus all through this meal, even though he is, has invited Jesus to come into his house. Jesus could have given this man what he deserved and really come at him with guns blazing about this man's disrespect, discourtesy, insolence towards him, but Jesus doesn't do that. And then comes this woman. Can you imagine having some stranger come and begin washing your feet, drying them with, your hair, with her hair? I mean, at some point, don't you want to say, wouldn't you look down at her and say, can you get a towel? I mean, it's kind of creepy. You're wiping, you know, crying all over my feet, wiping my feet with, with your hair. I mean, that's really strange, isn't it? And yet Jesus knows her heart and where she's coming from. And he allows her to do it. That might seem odd to some folks, but he, instead of humiliating her, instead of embarrassing her, he allows her to do what she feels she needs to do. But there's one more kindness here. It's the kindness in which in how Jesus treats the Pharisee. Because he knows the thoughts of the man. And he tells the man, look, you're, you're saying this woman is a sinner. And by the way, the word for sinner here means someone devoted to sin. It doesn't say that she was a, a professional woman. But you sure get the sense that that's kind of who she was. She was devoted to sin. And Jesus says, Pharisee, you've neglected me all through the evening. You haven't shown me the kindest courtesies, but this woman has done all of these things. Jesus could have really rebuked this man, but instead he just demonstrates, articulates the behaviors that have gone on throughout the evening and how this woman is treating him with love because of the forgiveness that she anticipates. And he gives her, extends to her, that forgiveness. This is the kindness that we see Jesus behaving with. Think about how we define that word, kindness. It's not just the idea of being nice to someone, nice because they deserve it, nice because they look like someone you might want to know, Nice because they agree with you politically. Nice because they have the same favorite sports team that you do. But extending to someone treatment better 
than they deserved. In each of these stories, Jesus treated someone with treatment better than they deserved. And so there's lessons for us in how we as Christians ought to treat others. There are times when we encounter folks who deserve to just really get the full force of our anger, to really get the full force of our disdain. But Christian kindness says, I'm going to hold back on that. And I'm going to treat them better than they deserve because I want Jesus to be seen in them. I deserved to be treated with all the unrighteousness that I've lived in my life. I deserve to be treated as someone who is devoted to sin. But Christ, in the love that He had for mankind, showed His kindness to me with the washing of regeneration. And I want Jesus to be seen in me. So I'm going to go out of my way to treat people better than they deserve to be treated and give them that kindness. Sometimes we put ourselves in a position where we just want to win and we just really want to run up the score or we want to demonstrate our great intellect or some other greatness that we see ourselves having. And when we do that, we're not showing God's kindness. Did you notice in all of these stories, Jesus doesn't say, keep sinning. Jesus doesn't say, keep going along your path in error. He does make corrections. He does call for corrections. But he does so in a way that is kind. And the impact is, that Zacchaeus repents. Nicodemus is there at Jesus' burial. And I'm sure that that woman, whose sins have been forgiven, is there as well. Where are we? Are we looking at the kindness that God has given us and being ready to give that kindness? others. If you're here this morning and you have needs of the church or needs for the prayers of the church, you need to have someone else extend kindness to you or, or maybe there's something else going on in your life and you want the church to be aware of it and to pray for you. Whatever your need, won't you come? Just together we'll stand and sing.